What's up guys, it's Rampage420 here to do a quick DraftKings breakdown for UFC 239, headlined by the GOAT John Jones versus Tiago Santos, and a co-main event of Amanda Nunes versus Holly Holm uh, for the belt as well. And this is actually a really, really great fight card. It's probably at least top three in the year at worst. I'm having trouble remembering all the other ones, but looks, I mean, all these fights should be exciting, I think at least. Uh, anyway, saying that, DraftKings is a little weird this week. There's no fighters from 8,300 to 7,900, which I can't remember the last time that happened. I honestly, I don't know if it's ever happened, so that's going to make it tough. And also, it's kind of weird because there's seven fighters in the 9K range, but then only five fighters in the 8K range. Um, so I think just building lineups is going to be odd this week. I think it's going to be really, really, really hard to go six for six. And I honestly think I wouldn't be shocked if five out of six wins took down single entry GPPs or like a three max. Um, but saying that this week with the $23 GPP that pays a hundred K to first, you're going to have to get crazy. You're going to have to, I mean, there's going to be so many ties because I mean, all all 12 favorites are over minus 220 favorites. So, I mean, there's going to be lots of odds value even in the 8K range. And, I mean, I think people are just going to try to play four big favorites and then two punts and hope that one of the punts comes through. Uh, but, like I said, I think it's going to be really, really hard to go six for six this week. And I actually think it's a good week to make a fair amount of lineups because you're going to need that variance to break yourself off from the ties, especially if you play the big $23 GPP. Uh, saying that, let's get into the first fight of the night. It's Julia Avila at 8,600 versus Penny Kianzad at 7,600. And this fight's pretty straightforward, in my opinion. Penny Kianzad isn't a bad fighter. She actually has a pretty big name in the division, I guess, especially outside the UFC. But she's every fight that her opponents being able to pressure and walk her down. She's really, really struggled in. And all Julia Vila does is pressure and walk people down, throwing nonstop strikes, looking for the clinch, does good work in the clinch. I think eventually Avila is just going to break Penny Kenza down in this fight. And it, I know Penny has a pretty cheap salary of 7600 but I honestly I don't have any interest at all unless you're making close to double-digit lineups. I don't know what the upside is with her here compared to all the other fighters we have in this slate who we know can score well with Avila 8600 I'm digging this spot I think a lot of people in the AK range are going to go to the rock hole to 8400 and Ben Askren 8700 which will leave Avila under owned and I think she's actually really live to get a finish here um, so I'm going to pick Julia Avila by third round KO TKO or KO and I think she's really, really sneaky candidate to put up a very high DraftKings score. Uh, so, the, like I said, Julia Vila is the much preferred DraftKings play. Uh, if you're betting this fight, mm, minus 200 for Avila on five dimes. I don't hate that. Maybe make it more of a parlay piece because, I mean, this is her UFC debut. So there's always that chance she gets the... UFC jitters that we see here and there. Uh, moving on to the next fight, we have Ismail Nardiev, who's, in my opinion, one of the brightest young prospects in the division. First chance, Recountry. And we have Nardiev at 9,300 versus Recountry at 6,900. And in his UFC debut, Nardiev faced Tractor Perzeras, who is just a 
beast, especially when it comes to wrestling and grappling. And Nardi have just shut his whole game down completely. Even when he was taken down, he was able to get back to his feet or scramble or attack with his own submissions. He looked great on the feet, has good hands, great spinning kicks. And with a guy like Chance Recountry, there's a lot of people saying he's a can. I wouldn't go that far. I actually think he has pretty solid takedowns and decent cop control. It's nothing nothing special, but I don't know what Recountry can do to Nardiev that's better than what Tractor Perseris does. I'm just I'm not seeing it at all. And while I think Recountry could get a couple like two or three takedowns maybe early in the fight, I see Nardiev eventually either just stopping them completely or scrambling, sweeping, etc., throwing up submissions to get back to his feet. And then when this is when this is on the feet, this these two are just planets apart. It's not even close. And I expect Nardiev to light him up. Uh, Rakuntri is a very tough dude. He's never been finished in his career. And so that's another reason why I don't exactly think he's a can like other people are saying. Um, so I'm going to pick Nardiev to win by decision. But I think he is live to a finish here, especially if a, a good majority of this fight takes place on the feet. Um, and at 9,300, I like Nardiev. I don't know what his upside is. Um, so I prefer him in cash or like a single entry GPP, maybe even a three max. But if you're making a bunch of lineups in the 23, the big $23 GPP, I would probably limit my exposure in GPP just because I don't... He scored 83 against... Prezeras in which he was taken down a few times. And if he gets taken down a few times here, but ultimately still wins a decision, I can see him scoring anywhere from like 80 to 92-ish, which won't hurt, but it's not going to take down a GPP, especially on the slate. Um, so like I said, I prefer Nardiev in like smaller and smaller field GPPs, especially if it's limited to like a single entry or three max. And then for a country... I don't mind taking a shot or two if you're making multiple lineups. Like if you're making 10 lineups, I don't mind having a lineup of Rakontri just in case there's, for some reason, Nardiev can't deal with his wrestling. I don't see that happening, but I'm just, we know in MMA stuff happens that we don't see happening all the time. Um, so if you're making 10 lineups, 8 to 10 lineups, I don't mind taking one shot in Rakontri. But other than that, I'm all over Nardiev. I really think he's in a... I don't think he gets a finish, but I think he's in a shine in this fight. And like I said, he's one of the brightest young prospects. Uh, as far as the betting, we have Nardiev at minus 550. I actually think he makes a great parlay piece. I don't bet fight odds straight up that are over like minus 350, minus 400. It's just a personal preference, but I will parlay them. And I think Nardiev makes a really, really nice parlay piece at minus 550 because I, I just don't see him losing this fight. Uh, the next fight should be pretty exciting. We have Alejandro Perez at 7,700 versus another highly ranked young prospect in Songi Dong at 8,500. And with Alejandro Perez, he's not the most technical or skilled fighter in the world, but he's super tough, super durable, and has a huge will to win. And he, is, he could be the best fighter in history at weaseling his way to decisions. Like he's been dropped multiple times in fights and the judges have still scored it for him. He's been dropped multiple times in rounds and the judges have still scored it for him. He just has a style that looks good to the judge's eye. Um, and before I did my tape study in this film, when I saw the slate announced, I was on Perez. 
at 7700 but man the more film study i did i just think song Yudong's literally better everywhere and i just think he's going to keep on making improvements to his game um it's one thing about perez is that his opponents rarely look very good against him and so because of that i'm not going to have a ton of access to this fight i think song Yudong wins a clear decision but, I mean, he's been scoring well so far in the UFC. In his first two wins, he has, or his first three fights, he has 104, 114, and 86. And at his price of 8,500, all of those would be fine. Um, but I don't know. Something tells me that this has like a 70, 75 point decision written all over it. And so I haven't decided yet. I'm probably making somewhere around five to eight lineups. I might have one lineup with Perez and then maybe one or two with Song, but it's not a fight that I'm going to go out of my way to make sure I have in a good majority of my DraftKings lineups. And if you're betting this fight, we have Song Yudong at minus 210 on five dimes. He's at minus 180 on Bet DSI. If you're on our Bet DSI, I actually like that line a lot. Um, but he makes, once again, another nice parlay piece. And I'm not sure what his odds to win by decision are, but whatever those are, I like. I would, if the line is letting, as least, holy crap, I can't talk. As long as they're not crazy, I really like Song Yudong by decision. Uh, the next fight of the night, we have Arnold Allen versus Gilbert Melendez. And Arnold Allen at a price of 9000 versus Gilbert Melendez at a price of 7200 and even though I'm picking Arnold Allen to win this fight, I don't really have any interest in DraftKings. He just, he's once again, another top young prospect, but doesn't score well at all. Like 59 points, 60 points, 79, 79, 62. Like that's going to hurt you on a slate like this at his price. So Arnold Allen's is going to be my fate of the night on DraftKings. And if he just goes out there and runs through Gilbert Melendez, then so be it. And that kills me. But, I'm not going to all of a sudden just project him to go score crazy on DraftKings when we've had seven fights sample size that shows he can't break 80 points yet. So I don't see any reason to go out of your way to get him in your lineups, especially when we have seven fighters in the 9K range, and I think all of them win and score fairly well besides Allen. Uh, with Gilbert, he's coming off for a multi-year layoff after, what, four losses in a row. He's definitely... I mean... Arguably should be retired by now. Probably more than arguably. I'm a Gilbert fanboy. You always have been. A lot of the modern fans weren't able to see Gilbert in his prime when he was just an absolute savage. Uh, great wrestling, great grappling, really good boxing. Uh, but his game really never transitioned to the modern era MMA, in my opinion. And so guys that can go in there and mix it up with them, especially with low kicks, and are equal grapplers, they really give them issues. And I see that happening here. If Arden Allen is landing low kicks early in the fight, I think he's just going to run away with it. But he's not really consistent kick thrower, and so I think I think Gil might be able to still around here. So I, I don't know. It's so hard to know what type of Gilbert Melendez we're going to get here. I see people picking him, but, man, I can't do it without knowing what he's going to look like or with anything without more recent sample size. Um, so this is another fight. I'm probably not going to 
go out of my way to roster. If I'm going to roster anybody from this fight, it's going to be Gilbert, just because, like I said, Arnold Allen's, we have, what, seven or eight fights, sample size in DraftKings, and he's never broken 80. So there's literally no reason to go there. And if you're making, like I said, if you're making eight to ten lineups, you want to take a shot in Gilbert, I'm more than fine with that. Uh, the next fight of the night, we have Claudia Gadelia versus Rondo Marcos. And, man, this is a really, really, really tough card to pick dogs that have a legit shot at winning. But and even though style-wise it's a horrific matchup for Marcos, I think Claudia Gadelia is shot physically and mental, more so mentally than physically. But especially once she gets tired, like she has about a round and a half in her now, and that's it. If she can't get you out of there within a round and a half, she's done, and she's gonna just get pieced up the second and third round and lose a decision. Um, I even thought she lost a Cookie Monster, but judges scored it for her. I thought that was a bullshit decision. Um, I've always been a big fan of Claudia, but like I said, she just passed it, and I think it's more of a confidence issue than anything. Ugh, God, but Marcos. She's not that good at all. And everything that Marcos is good at, Claudia is better at. Oh, God. I'm going to pick Claudia. This is my last time picking her, riding with her if she loses. Because if she loses to random Marcos, considering where she was two years ago, it might be time to do something else. I'm not saying Marcos is his can, but I'm saying where Claudia was two years ago compared to where she is now. Uh, it's kind of ugly. Um, Claudia isn't the best scorer on DraftKings. She, like, she has wins at 81, 105, 55, 105. So she does have upside, and I think I think she could submit Aranda here, but I would have to be early in the fight. And because of that, I think if Claudia wins, it's going to have to be early in the fight, and it's going to be by finish ex- submission. So she should score well if she, that prediction comes to light. Um and I know there's going to be a lot of people on Marcos, but man, both these ladies have gash issues. And so it's not like I don't see Marcos like picking up the pace and taking over the second third, second and third round like we've seen some past opponents of Gedalia's do. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and pick Claudia Gedalia. I'm going to pick her by early second round submission. At her price, 8800 I think in GPP, I think people are going to be scared off of her recent performances. And with this matchup, like I said, she's a stylistically wise, she's an awful matchup for Random Marcos. And like everything that Random Marcos is good at, which isn't much, Claudia is much, much better at. So I just I think the skills are gonna be too much for Marcos to come back on this fight. Um and like I said, Claudia makes an interesting DraftKings play at eighty eight hundred. It's very, very risky. So unless you have the bankroll or you're willing to take that risk in general. I don't know if I would do it because, like I said, I have a feeling that your confidence is shut. But we're going to need to get contrarian on this card, like I said, because of all the ties. And like I said, there's no fighters from 83 to 7,800. So it just makes it a really tricky card in general. And I actually think, let's say you're making 10 lineups. I actually think she makes an interesting pivot from Askren. I prefer almost Askren more as a cash play. And then Cadelia as a GPP pivot. But I will, I mean, you should still have some shares of Askren and GPP. But I think that makes an interesting contrarian play to the field. Uh, the next fight, 
should be fun. We have Julio Hernandez versus Marlon Chito Vera. And we have Hernandez coming in on like, what, four days notice? And I actually think he's a skilled young fighter. Uh, he has, he's taken about a year off recently to practice on just boxing. And he lost his last amateur boxing match, but he showed big improvements with his hands. He likes to fight all the clinch, likes to push forward. Uh, if he had more of a camp, I would give him a bigger chance here. But man, Marlon Vera has really found his groove. It's just Marlon Vera, he's a horribly slow starter. Like he's usually losing the first round and usually losing it big. And then like mid second round, early third round, he'll just come out and just blitz and annihilate his opponent and get them out of there. He's a great finisher. Uh, but Hernandez is a really tough dude. And Marlon at his price at 9,500, the second most expensive on the slate. Like, yes, he's very live to a finish, but is it going to happen in the first round? Probably not, because as I said, he's a horrifically slow starter. Hernandez is a tough dude, but, I mean, Marlon Vera, he's just, he's an opportunistic finisher. And I actually think he's a really skilled fighter. I just don't think he's figured out how to put everything together yet and get going early in the fight. Um, man. I'm going to pick Marlon Vera to win this fight by decision, but, I mean... He can finish almost anybody in the division, in my opinion, so I wouldn't be shocked. It's just at 9,500, I would almost just rather go to John Jones or down to Nardiev or my boy Emin Shabazian, who we'll talk about in just a second. Um, I maybe makes okay Contreras in play. Like, if you're making three or four lineups and you want to have, maybe do like one with Jones and one with Vera to kind of split it. I don't think there's a huge need to pay it for Jones on this card since we have six other 9K fighters and all of them should win. Um, so I think that's another way to get Contrarian on this card, especially in, I would play Jones and Cash, but to get Contrarian and GPP by fading, Jones might be the most expensive fighter on the slate. So by fading him and GPPs in a fair amount of lineups, and if the other 9K fighters, like for Jones to be on the optimal lineup, he needs to outscore every single other 9K fighter and that six other fighters. I just don't see that happening because I think a few of them are going to put up 110 to 115 points. Um, so I don't... It's so hard with Vera because his first rounds are always so bad. I'm probably going to have Marlon Vera and one or two lineups of my eight lineups. I'm not going to go crazy here. And like I said, there's a chance that Hernandez can sneak to a decision. But... I would I would bet that Vera wins a clean 30-27, maybe 29-28, loses that first round. But I can't count on Hernandez here with a four. I know he was in a fight camp for another fight for a belt on a regional promotion, but that's a totally different than comparing for a guy like Marlon Vera. So the pick is Marlon Vera by clear 30-27 decision, but there will be some shaky spots in the first round on a DraftKings, like I said. I don't think he's a must. And so if you're make, only making three lineups, let's say, I don't think you need a roster Cheeto Vera or Hernandez. So basically, if you're making only a couple lineups, this fight's honestly a fade to me. The next fight of the night, we have Diego Sanchez, who's actually being inducted to the Hall of Fame this week. Versus Michael Chiesa. And this should actually be an exciting fight, man. So we have Diego coming in at a price of 7000 which is basically what he was priced at his last fight. And he went out and dropped like 140 DraftKings points. 
And then we have Michael Chiesa at 9,200. Uh, man. So, Michael Chiesa, not great striking. He's never KO'd anybody of the feet or rocked him at the pros. He's done it in amateurs. But all his, I mean, if he wins, it's going to be out grappling guys and by submitting them. And Diego Sanchez has never been submitted in his career. I feel like he's mentally stronger than Chiesa. I feel like Diego has better cardio than Chiesa. I feel like Diego has better wrestling than Chiesa. But as we know, it's all going to come down to can Diego take the damage at this point in his career? He was actually, I know he destroyed Mickey Gull in that fight, but early in that first round, he was kind of getting cracked by Mickey a few times. And I mean, Chiesa's a better striker than Mickey Gull, even though Mickey, even though Chiesa's not a great striker. And so... And he's just big and long. I'm going to go out on a limb here and pick Diego De Sanchez to win this fight. But, I mean, Diego's been in the game for so long and taken so many shots that I wouldn't be shocked if Chiesa rocked him on the feet and got a choke and submitted Diego for the first time in his career. Um, it's just, oh, Chiesa. I... I almost never get this guy right. I think the only fight I predicted right of his was Kevin Lee beating him. I don't know. I just, I just have a horrible time getting a read on this guy. I think earlier I rated him way higher than what he really was, skill level really was. And now I'm almost like downplaying him a bit to a bit. So I just have a hard time getting a read in case in general. Uh, God. At 9,200... That makes a contrarian. Chiesa makes a contrarian GPP play again because I think Diego will actually have pretty good ownership, especially as we're really struggling for dogs that have a legit shot to win on this card. I mean, there's only, I think, one or two that have an actual legit shot to win, and one of those fighters is Diego Sanchez. So I'm going to pick Diego Sanchez by 29-28 decision, and he thinks he makes a great DraftKings play, especially if he's getting takedowns. Um, and I, I'm going to make a stand and probably be overweight on the field on Diego. And if it kills me, it kills me. I'm, but I'm willing, like I said, we're really struggling for dogs that have a legit chance. And if I only see two dogs that have a legit chance and I'm going to go heavy on one of them and it kills me, then it kills me. I'm not going to be too upset with that. So the pick is Diego by decision. And he's the much, much, much preferred DraftKings play. Uh, the next fight of the night, we have one of my favorite young fighters, Emin Shabazian, coming in at 9,400 versus Jack Marshman at 6,800. And Marshman's a really tough dude. He has really crisp boxing, fairly durable, kind of grizzled vet, been around the block. Um, but besides maybe landing some hands on Edmund, I don't really see Marshman having any success in this fight at all i re i'm really 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 high on edmund shabazian um i have some concerns about who his head coach is if you don't know his head coach name is edmund who was ronda rousey's head coach and let's to put it nicely i don't think edmund should be an mma head coach to say the least anyway i feel like shabazian's unbelievably talented and he can get away with not the best coaching right now. I think eventually he might have to make a change as he starts to get closer to the top 15, top 10. Um, but he's just really well-rounded, has good hands, pretty good kicks, underrated wrestling, especially against the cage. 
decent top control, and he has really underrated submissions, in my opinion. And Marshman can really be exploited on the ground if Edmund can get that fight there, and I think he should be able to fairly easily, especially the fight gets into the second, mid-second, early third round. Um, and I just think Edmund's going to have his way with Marshman on the ground. I even think he can have his way with Marshman on the feet after he kind of gets his timing down. I think the Marshman, will, like I said, will have a little bit of success earlier in the fight, but that's about it. So the pick is Edmund Shabazian. I'm going to pick him to win by submission, and just as a heads up, I actually, the odds on this are ridiculous. The last time I looked, Shabazian to win by submission was like plus 830. So, I mean, I'm going to have, I'm going to put a pretty good chunk on that because those odds are kind of ridiculous to me. With Marshman, I honestly don't have, I would only roster Marshman if I'm making like 20 lineups, and I'm not. Um, so Shabazian's the much, much, much preferred play. The next fight of the night, we have the 205-pound debut of Luke Rockhold versus Jan Blackowitz. And this is a really, really interesting fight. Jan Blackowitz is a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. It's really good kicks, body kicks. It's pretty solid on the feet, nothing, anything great. It just, compared to the rest of the 205-pound division, especially especially the elite fighters, Jan doesn't have the power that a majority of 205 pounders have. Like he's never, I'm, I went through his record this morning. I'm almost positive. He's never one punched anybody. And I mean, even with a guy like, I'm sorry about that. Even with a guy like um, Jimmy Manoa, whose chin was just completely shot to shit. Jan rocked him multiple times and dropped him, but was never able to put him out of there. And it's, he just doesn't have the power that a lot of 205-pound guys. And with Luke Rockhold, we know he's had chin issues his last few fights down at 185. Um, a lot of people don't know this, but he used to start his cuts at when he was fighting at 185 from close to 230 pounds, which is fucking ridiculous. Like, so I can completely understand why Luke thinks that the weight cut's hurting his chin, and it probably is. But something that doesn't get talked about is that Luke Rockhold might have the most lackadaisical, laziest striking defense I've ever seen for somebody that has, for somebody that's actually a great striker in general. It almost doesn't make any sense. But then again, we all know how arrogant Luke Rockhold can be. And so it could just be his arrogance getting in the way of him realizing the holes in his games. And I actually think his striking defense is more of an issue than his actual chin is. The way he leaves his hands down when he's exiting the pocket with his chin straight up in the air is just recipe for a fucking disaster. Fight and find out. And until he fixes that, I think he's going to continue to get clipped. But I think he's looked fucking massive this week now that he doesn't have to cut all that weight. And I mean, everything that Jan's good at, like we talked about in the Claudia Gedalia fight, everything that Claudia's opponent's good at, like, She's just better, and it's the same thing here. Luke's just better everywhere. Jan's a black belt. Luke's miles above him if this hits the ground. On the feet, Luke has the better kicks. He has the better angles. I think Jan has a much better striking defense. I even think Luke has the better hands. He has a really, really, really underrated jab that he was actually using pretty nicely in the Romero fight until he got KO'd like a jackass with his hands down. 
Um, pre-fight, I thought Jan had more of a shot in this fight, and I think he's. I think Blackowitch is going to have a lot of ownership at seventy-eight hundred because people will be scared off of Rockhold's chins. I'm going to bet that not cutting the extra twenty pounds is going to help his chin, and also, like I said, Jan just doesn't have that KO power that a lot of these other two of fine power. 205 pounders have like Luke Rockhold's going to get slept in the next few fights at 205, but I just don't see Blackowitz being it. And I'm a huge Blackowitz fan. Um, Luke Rockhold at 8400. Yes, fucking please. Like, if he gets KO'd, he gets KO'd, but that needs to be something that goes into your thought process when rostering so that if you roster him and he goes in there and gets clipped early and you get stuck with five DraftKings points. Like that's not something you should be devastated over. You shouldn't, you need to know the risk that goes into rostering Luke Rockhold on DraftKings or betting in general, but also he has, I mean, slate breaking upside at that salary 8,400. And I'm actually going to pick him to win by finish here. I think Jan Blackie, which is going to get very, very frustrated on the feet uh, with Luke's kicks and length. I think he's going to try to get the clinch or shoot him for a takedown. I think Luke is going to reverse, get on top, and either end it with ground and pound or get a submission. I think, I mean, instantly moving up to the 205-pound division, Luke instantly has the best ground game at 205. I don't think it's close at all. Um, so I'm going to pick Luke Rockhold by either second round TKO or sub, but I am picking him to win by finish. And I love his price on DraftKings. Just a reminder, like we talked about, just make sure you understand the risk that is involved when you roster or bet a guy like Luke Rockhold. Minus 225 odds and five dimes. Um, I'm not a huge guy of betting Luke Rockhold straight up, especially recently, but I think that makes a hell of a parlay piece at those odds because I just think I just think he's way better everywhere than Jan. Um, with Jan at 7,800, uh, I wish he was like 300 cheaper. Man. I think because, like we mentioned, there's nobody from 83 to 7,900 this week. I think Jan's going to be the first underdog that people see on DraftKings. And so a lot of people, I think, are just going to lock him in. Oh, man, 7,800, man. I don't love that salary in this matchup. That's the only thing. Like, if you're making three lineups, like, and you decide you want to have two rock hold, I mean, maybe have one with Jan just in case he clips Luke, but I don't think it's necessary to roster Blackowitz unless you're making five lineups or so. And then I would definitely have one because, as like we talked about multiple times already, rock hold just defense and chin isn't good at all uh, so the pick is luke by finish and i don't suggest betting him straight but i do like him as a parlay piece the next fight of the night we have the goat amanda nunes who's the greatest women's fighter of all time versus holly home and nunes comes in at a price of 9100 and home at a price of 7100 and you know i know holly's had pretty damn good career but i'm not giving her much of a chance here i think unless she lands some massive head kick out of nowhere i i think she's gonna get pulverized in this fight amanda nunez is holy home is we used to be professional boxing i think amanda can outbox her and could easily outbox her because holly's been outboxed multiple times in the ufc i even think holly lost her ufc debut 
against Raquel Pennington. I, I know she's had some impressive performances in her career, but I've, just me personally, I've never been overly impressed at the whole package of Holly Holm. Uh, I'm not saying she's a bad fighter or that she's overrated. I'm just, me personally, and what I look at for skills and research, I just, her compared to girls like Amanda Nunes, like, it's just, they're miles apart in my opinion. Like, Nunes has way more power in her hands, can walk people down better. Holly Holm has a bad habit of just punching air and making chaos sounds, almost like Caitlin Chukagan does to make it seem like she's actually connecting. Uh, she doesn't have the highest success rate accuracy on the feet. Um, I know she's cheap at 7,100 and she'll get some ownership, but I think Nunes just runs through here. And I'm going to pick Amanda Nunes to actually drop her and then submit her. So I'm going to pick Amanda Nunes by third round submission. Uh, but don't be shocked if Amanda KOs her also. Because I do think Holly's actually pretty damn chinny. Then it doesn't get talked about enough. I mean, even early in the fight, if you go back and watch the Ronda Holly fight, Ronda cracked her hard and it almost looked like she like flashed KO to Holly for a second on the feet because Holly's eyes even like started to roll back into her head when she was standing. And so she got hit like that against Ronda and got rocked. Like Amanda's might just put her out cold. And so I, I'm all over Amanda in this fight in GPP. She's going to be in the GPP core in the sheet I put out. Uh, later today with a podcast. And also, I like, if you're playing cash this week, I'm not. Um, but if you're playing cash, like we said, there are not many dogs we can see winning. So I really think this is a good fight to stack just because Holly can probably get, let's say Amanda Nunes gets like a third or fourth round finish. Like Holly could still put up like 25, 30 points by then. And so when we're stacking in cash, a lot of people say, the goal is to get 100 points total. I kind of disagree with that. I agree it's closer to 125 to 130 points, maybe sometimes even more on high-scoring slates. Um, but I think this is the better fight to stack in cash compared to Jones versus Santos. Um, so there's that. And then the main event, we have the greatest fighter ever in the men's side, John Jones versus the knockout artist, Tiago Moreta Santos. And Santos is the cheapest fighter on the slate at 60 size, 6,600. John Jones is the most expensive at 9,600. Uh, my quick breakdown on this fight is unless Santos kills Jones in the first minute and a half, he is fucked. I think Jones is going to destroy something. I mean, Santos was finished by... I don't want to call them scrubs at 185, but not elite fighters like Eric Spicely and David Branch. David Branch is more elite than Spicely, but you know what I mean. I mean, he was KO'd cold by one punch by David Branch. Like, and I know the weight cut, like we talked about with Rude Clockhold, the weight cut of Tiago Santos could do a lot with that, and he's looked he looks huge at 205. But if anybody watched the stare down this week, John Jones makes Tiago Santos look like a midget like he towers over him i was beyond shocked like i think i don't know if john got bigger or what but he looks fucking massive this week i think john has to be very 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 careful this first week um first round especially with a guy like santos because if john jones loses it's not nobody's gonna outskill him over three or five rounds it's just not gonna happen you're gonna have to spark him clean out very early in the fight or you're just gonna get run over 
And in my opinion, there's two guys right now in the division that have the chance to do that, and that's Tiago Santos and the other guy is Johnny Walker. Any other, Anybody else in the division, I give no chance at all against Jones. Uh, and the chance I give to Santos here is about like 5%, 10%. And if he doesn't land a massive, massive head kick or like haymaker in the first two minutes, he's fucked. Like Jones is going to murk this dude. He Tiago Santos was taken down six, um, excuse me, seven times by Eric Anders. Like if John Jones takes down Tiago Santos once, like God bless that dude because he's going to get elbowed into oblivion. And he's going to get choked out. And I'm actually going to pick John Jones to win by second round TKO from ground and pound elbows. I'm going to have a cheat sheet out later today, guys. So keep a heads up for that with the podcast so you can use it together uh, for your DraftKings lineups. Please, please, please give me a follow on Twitter. You can find me. I'm RampageFan420. So R-A-M-P-A-G-E Fan420. Uh, Good luck with your DraftKings lineups and bets this week, guys and gals. Peace.